Welcome back to Half the Battle. I'm your host, as always, Daniel Levy, your guest co-host, Will Martin. Today, we're going to be talking about UFC London, Tom Aspinall versus Marcin Tybura, and it's going down this Saturday night live at the O2 Arena in London, England. You got the top five Tom Aspinall. I mean, a guy who was looking like he was on the way to a title shot, taking on the experienced vet, the seasoned Polish fighter, Marcin Tybura, who is not an easy out for anyone. And Will, this is going to let us know exactly where Tom Aspinall is at coming off that serious injury, had the surgery, and Tybura is looking the best he ever has. If he gets a win over Aspinall, look out. So this is a very intriguing main event. It's a really good main event. I, I'm, a, I've never... 100% been truly on the Aspinall side. I was still very reserved about him coming up through Cage Warriors and uh, into the UFC. I've tried to fade him a few times. Um, not worked some some occasions. It worked out last time. But um, really interesting main event for the simple fact that Tybura is no real easy out. He's a, he's a tough guy to face. And um, I think he's a good comeback opponent for, for Tom. And it's like I say, he's coming back off a, a big injury. He's had that in the past where he's had opponents who've been injured in a similar type of fashion. So it's a big obstacle. I, I'm looking forward to seeing how it goes down. Well, let's get right down to business because in the main event, we got Tom Aspinall. He's 12 and three, taking on Marcin Taibora, who's 24 and seven. And currently they got it. Tom Aspinall minus 475. The comeback on Marcin Taibora is plus 375. And I mean, Will, I can talk about their skills all day. I can talk about how Tom Aspinall, super fast, especially for a heavyweight, switches stances, nasty hands, kicks, I mean, takedowns, slams, inside trips, straight arm bars. I like everything about him. Kind of represent that represents that new wave of heavyweight. I mean, when's the last time you saw a dude straight arm bar Volkov, right? Never, you know, and, and he took him down twice prior to that. So I just like everything about him. Um, and then Marcin Tybura, a guy that's truly been paying his dues. I mean, I know you remember that head kick knockout he had back in the day against Luis Henrique all the way to now. I mean, they rushed him to a main event against um, Fabricio Werdum back in the day. Kind of wasn't quite ready for it. And then he had, you know, he lost four out of five. It, it seemed like dude was on his way out. But, I mean, look what he's done since then. Has a win over Sergey Spivak put together a nice five-fight win streak, had that very close fight with Volkov. And then the next two fights, got back on a win streak again. So, I mean, there's a dude that he's won, what, seven of his last eight, looking in the best form yet. So it's one of these things where it's like, I, I think you've probably heard me say that. I think, you know, putting stock into layoffs, I think layoffs, you know, are kind of myths unless we're dealing with, you know, freak injuries, which is exactly what we're dealing with here. You know, like, We've seen guys come back from three to four year layoffs. Cruz came back and won a belt. John Jones, GSP, but they weren't coming off freak injuries. So, like Anderson Silva, when he came back off his freak injury, never looked the same ever again. When Chris Weidman comes back from his freak injury, believe you me, Will Martin, I will be fading him. So, with here with Aspinall, it's like I like everything about him. I think if this is the Tom Aspinall that we all know and love, um, I think that he's got a significant speed advantage over Tybura, and I think that you know he's technically sound enough to match up with him anywhere. It's just you know coming off that injury, I don't know what's going to happen. And then take it a step further, this price is trash. This price is absolutely terrible. And let me explain what I mean. So, would you agree with me that Alan Bado is probably one of the worst heavyweights we've ever seen in all our years watching the sport? Without a doubt. 
So I paid minus 350 on Tom Aspinall against Alan Badeau. So why would I then turn around and pay minus 475 to minus 500 uh, against someone like Tybura, who is 100 times better than Alan Badeau, when I laid minus 350 against Badeau? I laid minus 245 against Arlovsky or Jay Collier, minus 225 against Arlovsky, plus 110 against Volkov. So to me, this price is horrendous. And, you know, when I made that tweet about why would I lay this price, people are like, well, he's going to win. Um, yeah, that just shows me that you don't understand how line value works. Like, it's like if I go to buy a car right now, right? And the car might do everything I want it to do, but am I going to just settle for a terrible price? Am I going to let the, the car salesman rip me off? Or am I going to try to get the best price possible? Obviously, you're going to get the best price possible. So just because he's going to win, that's not good enough for me, Will. It's about where do I line it? And do I line him minus 750 to minus 1,000? Probably not. I line him, you know, closer to minus 400, you know, 80%. So if you line, if you think he wins 10 out of 10 times, okay, then there's value on minus 475. But I don't think he wins 10 out of 10 times because we saw in his last fight, the guy can get fluke injured, you know? So what if that happens here? Um, so look, yeah, I do think Tom's going to win this fight. But I mean, I think that laying minus 475 to minus 500 here is a sucker bet. Like you should be trying to get the best of the price in gambling, just like you would in any area of your life. So it's a pass for me. Tom Aspinall is my pick. I, I kind of agree with you in the, the whole aspect. I saw that tweet that you put out and I wholeheartedly agree with what you said. Um, and you've been, you've kind of been on the ball with, with Tom Aspinall with his prices from the get go. I know you saw when Jake Collier came back and you were like dog on a bone straight on that, on the bet there. And you, you have been throughout and, We've kind of talked about because, like I said, I've never fully been on board with with Tom Aspinall. I've seen him come through, and obviously at heavyweight, you, you see these guys coming through, and if they show any kind of life, especially at a young age like Tom is, um, then you kind of be, kind of gravitate to him a little bit. And like I said, I've had my reservations, but the more he's been in the UFC, the more comfortable he's looked, and I thought he's looked really impressive. And I just think that last time out, I, I bet Curtis Blades, but you don't like winning a bet with the way that the kind of circumstances of that fight. Um, but there's a lot to like. I mean, his footwork, I think, is fantastic. I think he's got great selection with his shots, great speed, and I think he's got the jiu-jitsu there and he can take you down as well. Tybura is just a tough guy. I think a tough guy to face, and, and he's won at these odds before. Alexander, now, Alexander Romanov and Tom Aspel are two totally different fighters, but I bet Tybura against Romanov, and he was plus 350, I believe. Um, so he has one of these type of odds where he's been a big heavy underdog. I just I struggle to see where he has a definitive advantage over Tom. I think he, he needs to maybe cage push, try and tire Tom out a little bit. If he can do that and Tom starts to deteriorate, then he could come into the fight and possibly maybe go on and, and win this late or into a, a round thing, late rounds, because Tom's never been, I don't think he's even been into a third round in his career. Maybe once against Stuart Austin, if I remember right. But um, for me, it's kind of dog or pass, but as a pick, I think I have to lean on the, the Aspinall side. I just I haven't got the balls to really throw anything on Tybura. Um, but like I say, I'm interested to see how Tom looks because I think from the few people that I've asked that kind of know him a little bit, he realises how big a fight this is coming back off that injury. And over here in the UK, they're, they're doing um, BT Sports, which is now TNT Sports, they're pushing Tom down our throat. They're trying to get him back in the limelight. They're talking about John Jones. Could he be the next guy to face John Jones? And Dana White's 
Dana White couldn't even remember the guy's name, the kid's name, which was quite funny. But um, as a pick, I'll go with Tom Aspinall. But like I say, for me, it's kind of dog or pass at the odds that it's at. I, I, I wouldn't touch Tom at those those prices. Co-main event of the evening in the flyweight division, we got Molly McCann. She's 13-5, and five, taking on Julia Stolyarenko, who's 10-7. and seven. Currently, they got it. Molly McCann, minus 190. The comeback on Julia Stolyarenko is plus 165. So, I mean, obviously, the UFC love Molly McCann. Like, Molly, here's a one-in-five fighter in the UFC who has zero business in a co-main event, except for the fact that she's your opponent. She's your sacrificial lamb. Don't get armbarred, and you win this fight. And I think Julia Stolyarenko... I mean, I, I don't want to be disrespectful, but like you watch her last fight, she takes down Chelsea Chandler. She's she gets in the mount right away, which like when you get into full mount in MMA, even like let's say just jujitsu, like aren't you trying to keep that full mount? Like aren't you trying to like secure that position in MMA? Let's drop some elbows. Let's establish our dominance. What does she do a couple seconds after she's got full mount? She drops to her back for an armbar, gives up a position, and then she gets pounded out. Like I think that. I mean, I don't think this girl belongs in the UFC, but I think that they love Molly. I love Molly. I mean, Molly brings it, man. And people talking about how, well, Aaron Blanchfield submitted her. Dude, Aaron Blanchfield's yeah. a phenom. Aaron yeah. Blanchfield's a legit black belt. Oh, but Jillian Robertson submitted her. Jillian Robertson's got the most submissions in women's MMA history, more than Ronda Rousey. So, I mean, so what? Those are two real black belts. You know, you know what those two would do to Julia? So, I mean... I do think it's armbar bust. And people are going to bring up examples of how Julia fought competitive with, you know, I don't want to be disrespectful, but with 50-year-old Alexis Davis. I mean, congrats, but, like, you still lost, you know? And the one fight she did win was against Jesse Jess, who had checked out the game a long time ago. Like, we love we love us some Jesse Jess, but you know damn well she checked out the game a long time ago. Um, and Jesse Jess's game plan was to stand and bang going into the fight but as soon as the bell rang she runs into the clinch with the armbar specialist i mean what do you expect i mean if molly wants to do some dumb shit like that then she deserves to lose but i mean molly's better on the feet it, i think molly you know once she starts to slow down julia a little bit she can take her down too just has to avoid this damn armbar and if she does that um i think she's going to destroy this girl i mean it's less than minus 200 to fade one of the worst fighters on the roster and i see a lot of love for julia um, because again, back to people are talking about Aaron submitting her, dude, don't, do, do not compare someone that's probably one or two fights away from a title shot to Julia Stolarenko. Like, do not ever do that. And let, let's just, let's take away UFC. Let's say Aaron Blanchfield and Julia put on the gi. Aaron's going to fuck her ass up. Aaron is like one of those like kid prodigies. She's like 23, but she's been a black belt for a couple of years. Like it's just a different level of grappling. Um, yeah, I think Molly's going to bust this girl up, going to get a highlight reel finish. I'm going to climb on the cage, get the UFC replica belt. You know, <laughs> she's not going to do a shoey, but she's probably going to drink a couple pints and it's going to be a good moment. So I'm excited to see Molly get her arm raised in the co-main event in London. Yeah, I, I haven't met too many people that don't love Molly. Molly is honestly, I've met her a few times. She's the nicest girl you can ever meet. She's just like so down to earth. Um, and this... This, this is a really good fight for her to kind of really come back after that Blanchfield fight. When I, when I heard that matchup was being put together, I'm like, her manager, Graham, I'm like, dude, what are you doing? I know it's in New York, it's in MSG. Um, she's kind of riding a wave of her big knockouts, but this is like just 
bad, bad matchmaking for her, um, putting her in there. But Molly, Molly doesn't turn down fights. I know that for a fact. Um, I, I, I think the line now it, it's coming down. You've got all these people baiting Stoli Renko, and like you say, you said it, armbar or done pretty much. That she's not got much else. Um, but I think was she not like minus three fifty at one point? I think her odds were super, super high. So yeah, for me, in fact, is Stoli Renko even going to make the weight here? Because I'm sure she's had trouble at one thirty-five. Um, if I remember right, and she, she fell on the scales or she fell back and never made the weight and she had to get pulled from the fight. And this is at 125, I believe. Um, yeah, Molly's going to win this fight. I'd be very surprised if she doesn't, but Molly's been put in positions where she's been taken out before and it just takes that one one opportunistic uh, opportunity to arise and it's done. But um, I'm picking Molly to win this fight. I think she knocks her out. Featured bout in the featherweight division, we got Nathaniel Wood. He's 19 and 5, taking on Andre Touchy Feely, who's 22 and 9. Currently, they got it. Nathaniel Wood minus 190. The comeback on Andre Feely is plus 165. So, this is the first bet I made on the card. Um, I took Nathaniel Wood at minus 180 and I played it to win two units. Firstly, let me just talk about how much I respect Feely. Um, just on a personal level, back when UFC 199 happened in LA, right? It was the same. It was the night that Bisbing won the belt against Rockhold. So I, I have a brother in LA and he had some stuff going on. So he invited me out and some of the family went out. We went to go visit him. So I was thinking, well, if I'm going to be in LA anyways, around the time UFC 199 is, I'm going to go to that card, right? So um, I'm there hanging out with my family and, you know, Friday's the way in there. So, um, you know, I don't really have like any friends there. I just had family there. So I was like, I asked my mom, like if she wanted to come with me to the weigh-ins, which was really cool, you know, cause she's never experienced nothing like that before. So, um, so I took her to the weigh-ins with me and Andre Feely was there hanging out and Andre Feely was the coolest dude. Like he took a picture with my mom. Like I didn't, I didn't take a picture with him, but he took a picture with my mom and it was just really, really nice. And I'll never forget that. So I'll always respect him. And then as far as skills go, guys long straight punches i think his best weapon on the feet are his head kicks not just to the chin not just to the forehead but he's got that nice head kick that wraps around the back of the head it's beautiful also has a nice blast double i've seen him blast double d1 wrestlers so you know andre feely there's no weakness in his game per se um and with with wood so i was always criticizing him at bantamweight because i thought that maybe he was a bit on the chinnier side but it turns out, man, those weight cuts were just too brutal because he he goes up to featherweight against Jordan, um, who is a serious striker, and Jordan hit him with some shots, and Nathaniel didn't even flinch. Uh, so that tells me that it wasn't a chin issue. It was a, you know, no water in his brain issue. He was just cutting way too much weight. Now he's in the proper weight class, and people are talking about how, oh, he's too short. Um, remind me how tall the champion in at featherweight is, please. Uh, before people give me any bullshit about him being too short. And he just also fought a guy that's 5'11, his last fight, a guy who also fought Feely, who outstruck Feely. Um, Feely had to resort to wrestling in that fight. Luckily, Nathaniel knows how to wrestle a lot better than Jordan. So, I mean, what I think is gonna happen, what I think the biggest edge here is for Nathaniel is like look at the kind of numbers he's put up on the feet. Um, he's hit the over 100 significant strike mark more than once. I mean, he's hit the over 130 significant strike mark more than once. Feely has never hit 100 significant strikes ever, and he's been in the UFC since 2013. So right away, the pace difference is massive. I think that 
um, Nathaniel's going to get right in his face. He's going to close that distance, which is going to kind of neutralize the the reach advantage and the height advantage and all that. And obviously the calf kicks is a great way to approach a much taller opponent. And we know that Nathaniel has nasty calf kicks. His hands are on point. Um, Feely has, he's been dropped on multiple occasions. Um, he's been put out more than once, you know, two fights ago against Brito. I cashed Brito there at plus 250. So, yeah, well, I think it could be competitive at times. I just think the difference in pace is the reason I love Wood here. And you know that one of my biggest angles is a volume difference angle. I love guys that can double people up on strikes. And I think Wood's going to double up Feely on strikes. Um, Only concern is that fucking head kick. You know, that head kick, it doesn't matter how good your chin is, man. That shit lands, and it could be good night. But I think that Nathaniel is smart enough. to to close the distance and fight at his range and i think he's gonna outpoint him and possibly knock him out but if not you know 30 27 on two cards 29 28 on the other so yeah i played him to win two units here yeah i really like the fight personally i think it's a um very well matched fight actually i think that um when you look at philly's been around it feels like philly has been around for years and the guy's only still what 32 maybe turning 33 so he's been around a long time he's paid his dues fought a lot of top guys um kind of fought up to the side against some of those guys but when he turns up he he can put it on you and he can knock you out i just think that wood is a little bit too crafty right now wood is really since he made that move up um there's a lot of people that when I go to the fights, there's a lot of people that, um, especially with Nathaniel, he's got a lot of fans in the London area that travel well with him. Um, so last year in Paris, I was around him and I've never seen him. I've been around him a few times at Cage Warriors events. He was so focused and he knew exactly what he had to do and he went out there and he really, his game plan came to tea. The only thing that he was a little bit disappointed with after the fights, he said to me, he really wanted to get that finish. He really wanted to take him out. But he was so crafty with those little trips they had. He was lighting them up with nice combinations, going to the legs, um, just ripping them apart and uh, really put it on him. And like I say, in this one here, I just think he's going to be a little bit, overall, I think he's going to be just a little bit better than Andre Feely is. And if I'm not mistaken, I think Feely's coming off a big surgery, coming overseas, enemy, ter- enemy territory. Uh, and he is the true London boy in this card. Nathaniel Wood, he's, I think he might be the only guy actually from London who's fighting on the card. So um, I was looking at a bet earlier on in the week, but I think I'm going to stand by the wayside and just sit back and enjoy this one uh, and root for, for Nathaniel to, to come through and win and you cash your bet. But I, I like him. I like him to just, like you said, win, win the rounds a bit more clearly. Uh, a 30 27 cards i think are possible i think he's good this is gonna be a big breakout performance at home and we're going to get him there moving up the the rankings at 145 and they need new talent coming through i think that he's a guy that potentially could go into top 15 and beat top 15 guys i've no doubt about it actually now next up in the middleweight division we got andre muniz he's 23 and 5 welcoming paul craig to the middleweight division who's 16 6 and 1 currently they got it Andre Muniz minus 220. The comeback on Paul Craig is plus 185. So, I mean, when you look at Craig's resume, I mean, the dude beat the best 205 around planet Earth, Jamal Hill. 
He beat the next best 205er on planet Earth, Magomed Ankalaev. He beat emerging top 15 talent, Kennedy and Zetchuku. He beat Nikita Krilov, who I think is one or two fights away from a title shot. So, like, this dude's, like, beating the who's who. And the crazy thing about it is then he's also turned around and lost to Tyson Pedro and, you know, and Jimmy the Brute Crew. And so it's it's kind of hard to, to predict him sometimes. It's like he'll beat the best guys and lose to the worst guys. And I don't mean that those guys are the worst guys. I just mean compared to to the Hills and the Magomeds and the Nikitas. Like, so it just doesn't make sense. But, I mean, we know what he brings to the table. One of the nastiest guards in MMA history, in light, especially at light heavyweight. Um, Andre Muniz, also a serious black belt. What do you think, man? Are you going with Scotland's own uh, Paul Craig? I mean, do you have any insight for me on this weight cut? Like, like, what do you think? Because I, I don't even know, like, yeah, what well, I'm looking at here. Paul's got a podcast over here in just down the road in Glasgow uh, called the Leather Podcast, and I listen here and there. I've been listening the last few weeks in the run up to his fight, and he's very confident in his striking here because he thinks if he gets taken down, that he's got a, an opportunity to be very competitive with Muniz, and I'm just. I'm not on that wave. I think Muniz is a level above what Paul Craig is, but I think that Paul has some moves that I think he can take anybody out with. I really do. I think he's a very crafty dude. Like I said, I'm not one of your jiu-jitsu guys that notices things. You'll notice things far better than I will, but he's got some moves there that if he catches you in it, he's going to take you out, and he can do that against the best in the world at any opportunity, at any point. Uh, like any opportunity within the fight, last second, that still breaks my heart. That uh, I thought I had that bait done. Paul comes out there, taps out Ankalaev, um, and then there was like I say, he's got some serious names on his record that he's taken out that have had belts, contenders in the up at that two hundred five, and now he's making that drop down to one eighty five, and he's still going to be big. He's like six three. He's still going to be bigger than Muniz, so. Uh, but he is like fully confident in his striking in this one that he can be very competitive, not be scared if this goes to the ground and and, and just be competitive down there and maybe catch him or something. I just think Muniz is an absolute savage on the ground. I think if he gets it there, I think he's he's going to really hurt uh, Paul Craig. I think he's going to find something eventually. But you can never write off Paul Craig and at this number that he's at. It's. I don't think it's a, the worst dog in the world to be taking a shot. And I didn't like what I seen against Ozdemir, him just like flying to his back. And Ozdemir was, he he was kind of smart, just not engaging in anything down there. I would love for Paul Craig to win this fight. I just don't see. I think Manis is going to get this to the ground and he's going to find a submission. Um, and I know this from a fact that when he fought Khalil in Glasgow, going way back now. He said that was he really struggled with the southpaw um, in Khalil Roundtree, and he said he only really faced one guy before that was a southpaw, and it just he says he did not like prepare for it properly. Hopefully, he does a little bit better than that this time, but he's not as facing as dangerous a striker as what Khalil was, and especially in that fight. I just think we need it's going to stop him with this submission. I think that he's just a level above when it goes to the ground, but he has to mind his p's and q's. Because I think Paul can catch him with something, uh, even though Andre is at a, a serious level. I mean, you don't have to be a jujitsu guy to understand that. If yeah. you go down to the ground with Paul Craig, yeah. that's absolutely nasty. Um, and the fact that a guy like Magomed and Khalif tapped with one second left speaks the, speaks volumes to how tight 
that triangle must have been. I mean, it probably felt like his eyes were about to pop out of his head, like he was about to die. Like, because, like, I know from speaking from experience, like grappling, like, let's say there's 10 seconds left on the clock, but someone locks it in. I mean, you can try to hold your breath all you want, but with a triangle choke like that, it really feels like your head's about to explode. And time is, you know, you're not even thinking about time anymore. You're thinking about, like, wow, I'm about to die, you know? So, that's probably what Ankle Live was going through mentally in that spot. And then when he realized there was one second left after he tapped, he was probably like, oh, my God. Because you know how the Russians get. Like, they don't like tapping, man. And for a Russian to tap, like, because they have, like, a big honor thing about, you know, not tapping and stuff. Um, so for him to tap Ankle Live like that, holy shit. And then let's just talk about let, – let, let's take a second to say a group prayer for Jamal Hill. Hope he gets back better. But, yo, Jamal Hill didn't tap. Jamal Hill is a bad motherfucker. You understand what I'm saying? Like this dude got his arm broken and then he started hitting him with his broken arm. Like that's, that's some champ shit right there. So I can't wait to see Jamal back in there. And the reason that it's listed as a TKO, I saw someone talking about how Paul Craig knocked out Jamal Hill. Like, like, like stop it. Like, you know, like, like cut it out. Um, the reason it was counted as a TKO is because Jamal refused to tap. So, uh, Paul Craig on bottom was hitting him with with, uh, with elbows and shots, so they called that a TKO. But I mean, Jamal didn't protest the stoppage. But I'm actually curious to see what would happen if the round never ended and he kind of just stayed there and you know wait till the next round, come out there, fight him with with a broken arm. You know, I'm very curious. But take take all that aside, like even the, the Krilov fight, like Krilov almost knocked this man out. And man, that triangle choke so damn tight. And then you see the disappointment in Krilov right after. He was like, damn, I had him. But like, they just can't believe how quick Paul Craig can latch on to, to the limbs, to the neck, to whatever the case may be. And it's Insta Tap City, unless your name's Jamal Hill. And then with Muniz, he's nasty on the mat. I know he got tapped his last fight, but it, it wasn't because his jujitsu sucks. It's because. Brendan Allen played it perfectly. Brendan Allen got Muniz extended to that fatigue state where if you go back to Muniz's debut against um, Arroyo, right? Arroyo, where he kept flopping to his back. Um, but Arroyo, you know, Arroyo doesn't have the, the level of black belt that Brendan Allen had. So while Brendan Allen might not be the same level of black belt as Andre Muniz, he was savvy enough to get Andre Muniz to that fatigue state. And from there, he was able to kind of choke him out based on the merit that Muniz was completely spent. It wasn't about, you know, Muniz's jujitsu sucking or anything like that. It was just Muniz was completely done. And when you're fatigued like that, you know, like it doesn't matter what level black belt you are. So I just don't really know what's going to happen. And usually in those cases, I take the dog. But but him dropping to 85 is so sketchy to me because um, he, he wasn't a small 205er man he wasn't small at all so uh yeah so i really don't know um i guess usually when i like i said usually when i don't know i take the dog but i think i'll side with with the books here and take the favorite just because of the experience at, at a middleweight because paul craig it's not like the man's 25 he's 35 which which isn't old at all but i'm just saying that like you know dropping 20 pounds when you already had a cut weight to make 205 um yeah, and yeah, I I just really don't know. So I'll go with Muniz, but let's see. Next up in the lightweight division, we got Jai Herbert. He's 12 and 4, taking on Fares Ziam, who's 13 and 4. Currently, they got it. Fares Ziam minus 155. The comeback on Jai Herbert is plus 135. 
So shout out to y'all that took uh, Fares at Dog Money or at Pick'em Odds, which it was like a week or two ago. You did your job. So win or lose, like keep beating lines by that amount and you're going to be on the right side of the coin long term. So um, even if Fares loses this fight, like you you should not be mad at yourself at all. Like, uh, like go beat a line like that again. You know what I mean? Or why don't you just hedge out right now, right? You can get plus 135 on Jai. You got plus 105 on Fares. You know, if you can guarantee yourself a profit, I don't see, I don't see why not. But at the same time, if you want to, you know, be stubborn and just say, Hey, I'm gonna put my balls on the table, let it ride. Nothing wrong with that either. I've liked Fares for a long time. The thing people need to understand about him is he's just a kid. Now he's 26, but he came into the UFC, what, 22, 23. And I think he won like the K1 at, at 21 years old. So he's coming in here with some real striking credentials and, I've been saying for a long time, like once this kid puts it together, you're going to see some brutal knockouts from him. And that last performance against Figlak, where I cashed him as a plus like 170 dog was a huge step in the right direction. Um, but I still think there's there, there's more room for improvement. And I think one of these days he's going to get that knockout and it could be here. So so both these guys are long strikers. Right. Uh, let's let's pull up the, the physical attributes here. So both six one. Jai has a 77-inch reach. Fares has a 75-inch reach. And they both kind of are on the lower output side of things. But I think that Fares has way better defense. And more importantly, I think he's a lot more durable than, than Jai Herbert, you know? So I could see it being a low output striking match. But I think that Fares's shots, excuse me, are going to have more impact on Jai than the other way around. And also, Ferez has been taking his, you know, grappling seriously. I see him in the gi. He's a purple belt. He's been competing in jiu-jitsu tournaments, which I love to see. Um, and, and you got to, especially, you know, the way that Terrence fight went down, which if he fights Terrence again, I'm betting him for the same reason. Like, we know if you get Terrence past round one, uh, you're going to win. He wasn't able to get Terrence past round one. But in another iteration of that fight, he might get him past round one and, if you get him past round one, it's all but a lock that you're going to win. So I didn't really hold that against him. We know, we know in the first two minutes, Terrence is hell on wheels. So, but he rebounded in beautiful fashion and Jai has been doing his thing too. I can't, I can't even cap. Even in some of these fights, he's been losing. Like he dropped Trinaldo. He dropped Taporia. Now Taporia, a much smaller man in a different weight class, but he still dropped Taporia. Um, so he's done his thing in some fights. Uh, but I, I just think that, like again both similar sizes both low output but big durability advantage for Ferez. and um i've been waiting i've been saying this like maybe like since his ufc debut or or a little bit past that i've been waiting for this highlight real ko from Ferez yam and i think this weekend might be the time he finally gets it so i'm gonna pick Ferez yam here uh by knockout or decision yeah, like I say, last year I was in Paris. I was watching the fights, and when you're at when you're at an actual event and you watch the fights, and you, you're pretty impressed with what you're seeing with your own eyes, and then that was the first um, that I kind of watched back, and I was really impressed with what I seen from Farasiam uh, in that fight. I thought he was really starting to put it all together, getting some nice takedowns. His strikes were so pinpoint, and like I say, Figlak, whether he's UFC caliber or not, he, he got his opportunity, and he kind of got shown the level. You have to be in the UFC, and especially against an ascending fighter like Farasiam. I thought he really looked fantastic, and now he's coming into his kind of own with how long he's been in the UFC. He's starting to round his game out, like you said, 
Um, and this, to me, looks like a, a really good spot for him to get a big, big finish because, like I said, I've, I do not like the durability of Jai here, but he was getting dropped back in the Cage Warriors days. Um, and now he's, what, mid uh -huh. Didn't Didn't Reese McKee knock his ass out? Oh, no. I lost Will right when I asked the important question. Yeah. No, no, no. Reese McKee. Uh, he, he got him there. So Reese McKee's back in the okay. UFC. He's actually fighting Paris. Um, but yeah, his durability has never been great. I think I think he's running into this Faraz kid at the wrong time. I think this kid is leveling up and gradually just getting better. And he's. He, I watched an interview uh, this week where he's like, he is desperate to get a finish, desperate to come out of this fight unscathed, desperate to get back on that Paris card uh, early September. And he wants a bonus. So um I'm I like for us the um what did you say the lines are right now? Yeah, so currently they got it minus one fifty five Zion plus one thirty five Herbert. Yeah, and like I say, if you go on that the early line, you you were really doing your work there. Um I like him here. I think this is gonna be his big kind of coming out party, big knockout. And uh hopefully I get to see him in Paris because like I say, he looks like he's really ascending into a really good fighter. So yeah. And next up in the featherweight division, we got Leron Murphy. He's 12-0-1, taking on Josh Kulaba, who's 11-1-1. And currently, and let me just say something real quick before I, I say the odds. Had Leron lost his last fight to Santos, which a lot of people thought he might have, it was also in London, they'd both have identical records of 11-1-1. Currently, they got it. Uh, Leron Murphy, minus 130. The comeback on Josh Kulaba is plus 110. Curious to hear your take. I think this should be an incredible fight to watch because, like, Kulabal, like, you look at his numbers, they're not very impressive, but like, he's just like a dude that knows how to fight. He's just scrappy. And I know he's like Australian, but like, he fights like a Hawaiian, man. Like, you just cannot count this guy out. Like, he's slippery, he's tough, he's dangerous, and he's there for the fight. And Leron, um, pretty damn skilled and a guy that's right on the cusp of, of big things. So, how you see this one going down? really good fight actually i think this is a, a really good well put together fight um like Lerone murphy was a guy that was never really on my radar until he actually just came into the ufc and it's kind of weird being here in the uk and i try and keep as close an eye on guys coming through and i didn't really know a hell of a lot about him but he came in and obviously kind of he didn't lose his first fight even though i think honestly i i thought he fought his ass off but i thought he kind of lost that fight and then he really started to ascend into a really, really solid fighter with the wins over Ramos, Douglas De Silva, De Andrade, uh, and then Macwan. I mean, if you watch that Macwan fight, he, he finished in the second round, but what you don't see in the first round is he he was getting taken down at will. Macwan does what Macwan usually does and just gas out after the five minutes are done. And then I I remember when this fight was taking place with Gabriel Santos, and I was like, I he has lost that fight, and there was people who were Nah, Lerone's got this, Lerone's got this and I was, I was, I thought he didn't look great but then I, I have to remember in that fight that he was coming back after a really big injury um, I cannot Ooh, remember did, didn't he get like hit by a car on his motorcycle yeah, or something? you might be right, I, I can't really remember off the top of my head but um, he was coming back after something pretty life threatening at, at one point from what I hear um, and like I say, I I, I think this Kulabai kid is he's really fun to watch like super fun to to watch that finish of Bagdasari and he was on the back so so quick and he's really he's just a really well-rounded fighter I think he's from Guam initially he's got that Guam descent in him so um the guys scrap out there um 
I think Lerone's time's coming. I thought his time was coming when he was going to face Nathaniel Wood. I thought that L was going to come in here. Um, but I think Josh has, has got the, the beating of this guy. I think he, he can win rounds. I think he can mix it up a little bit better if he, if he wants to. But I've got a funny feeling this is going to be a little bit of a back and forth fight here. Obviously, the hometown guy, he, he kind of seems to edge out these close rounds. For me, I like Josh Kulabau. I think he's a very live dog this week. Yeah, I mean, I don't disagree. And it's like I keep counting the guy out. And again, yeah, you look too. at the numbers, but they don't tell the story. Like the guy just knows how to fight. He's just scrappy. He's slippery. He's tough. I like everything about him. But listen, Lerone's no slouch at all, man. And Lerone's actually put up the good numbers. I like, um, you know, the close to 100 significant strikes. Um, he's well-rounded. He's tough. He, like you get him to the ground, he's going to get back up. Like he's, he's just a tough dude to deal with. So this should just really be, a, you know, two stubborn guys that, you know, really want to make it to the top 15 and fight tooth and nail. And, I mean, in those cases, it should be dog or pass. But, like, I feel like the UK judges could bail Lerone out one more time. Like, they don't want beer thrown on their judges' table. Like, they don't want a riot to ensue at the O2 Arena, especially that early on the card. You know, first fight of the main card. Um so I'm going to go Lerone by split decision, but I mean, I'm not going to talk you off a cool about bet because the guy will, the whole will fight for your money shit, like it's true he will fight for your money, but it, that's not what's important to me. What's important to me is where do I line the fight and where are the odds currently? Because, you know, do you think that plus 110 is off? That's all that matters to me, you know? Because he could be minus five hundred, and if he's gonna, and still he, he fights for your money, I, I don't give a fuck. But but are these odds off or not? That's what you need to come to the conclusion with, or conclusion to. And and if you do come to the conclusion that, that those odds are off, maybe you you view it as a dead pick'em. Well, then you should take Kulabau. Um, the thing is, even though if this was a neutral territory, I'd view it as a dead pick'em. But in UK, I kind of see it as that minus 130 just just a slight edge on Lerone because that that judge's fuckery could happen like i said they don't want a beer thrown into the octagon on the judge's table any bullshit like that so they might just give him that but like you said the way he took Melsic's back was nasty um he just finds a way and it's, it's just like the numbers don't tell the story on a guy like cool about so yeah so i'm gonna be wrong and pick against him again and he's probably gonna win here so Let's see. Now, next up in the Bantamweight division, we got Dangerous Davy Grant. He's 13 and 6, taking on Danielle Marcos, who's 14 and 0. Currently, they got it. Danielle Marcos minus 140. The comeback on Davy Grant is plus 115. I love this fight. I absolutely love this fight. I think that um, firstly, Davy Grant. I mean, what what can you say about this guy? Like they try to set up prospects against them all the time. Jonathan Martinez gets knocked out. Adrian Yanez barely scrapes away with a split decision. Like back in the day, I know you remember when Davey uh, sent Cheeto back home packing. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? So this dude, I mean, and he's just kind of wild and like, like the way is the angles that his punches come from, like, like if you got your hands up for your guard, like they'll come around your guard and hit you on the ear, hit you on the temple, fuck up your equilibrium. He's got calf kicks. Like, I like everything about Davy Grant. Like that last fight, I bet a Sun I don't remember the odds. I think it might have been like 
was it plus 170 plus 180 is is that what it was yeah i don't remember but it was good dog odds um and i just want to say something real quick because last week i cashed a bet on nazim sadikov against terrence uh and people were giving me shit about this fence grab bullshit as if like i'm the ref or something i'm not the ref i'm just the guy that bet on sadikov and cashed and let me just say something if you watch that a sunset fight um let's let's keep it real i mean that fence grab saved uh davy grant and you know they restarted them on the feet and then he finished him but the thing is when that fight happened and i lost my sunset bet did you see me on twitter writing paragraphs about oh my god a fence grab is the reason i lost no i gave davy grant his credit so the same way i'm not gonna bitch when a fence grab goes against me I'm also not going to cry when a fence grab goes my way. And so you know, to me, all this stuff evens itself out over time. And, you know, and I also truly believe had the fence grab not happened in the Nazim fight, like you got Terrence past round one. That's all you needed to do. So fence grab, schmentz grab, bro. Like you were going to win that fight regardless since you got it past round one. I mean, Terrence had your back for the most of, of round one and wasn't able to finish you. That's all Terrence had, you know. So, so this whole fence grab bullshit. Like I said, the same way I'm not gonna cry about Davy grabbing the fence and costing me a plus one seventy or whatever on a sunsaw. You know, I'm also not gonna complain when it works in my favor. You know, this is the fight game, and these guys, you know, like, like you gotta learn that you're allowed to get away with one or two of those fence grabs. Like, you gotta learn the game. You know, you can't be crying about shit like that. Like, you gotta understand that. These guys, if they're gonna cheat to win and you got money on them, you know, it's great. If you're if they're gonna cheat to win, you got money against them, it sucks, but it's part of the game. So you take it on the chin and you move on. But here, back to this fight, I think Daniel Marcos is the best Peruvian prospect we've ever seen. Better than Claudio Puelas, better than Jesus Pinedo. Um, do, do you are there any other Peruvian prospects off the top of your head you can think of? Um, mm-hmm. Is Bahamondes, is he from Peru? Nah. Nah, he's Chile. Is, uh, Chile, right? Is it Chile? Yeah, you might be right there, I think. Let me let me let me double check because I don't want to, you know. But you know, no, he yeah, Chile. He's Chile. Yeah. yeah. So I'd say without a doubt, Daniel Marcos is the best uh Peruvian prospect that we've ever seen. And he's a guy that got out of his comfort zone. He he doesn't train in Peru, he, he trains in Florida and when you look at the kind of training this guy's doing, like he's got all the right people around them. Like he's, I'm not just even talking about like the training aspect of things. I'm talking about like the recovery. Like he's at like the human institute of performance and doing all kinds of high tech recovery shit on this guy, like infrared this and you know, all this stuff that I don't know the half of. And like, he's getting like, he's like a real professional, uh, this guy, like I am very, very impressed. And when he came off that that contender series fight, you know, he was coming off a three year layoff. And I talk about how layoffs are myths and this and that. And he did win that fight. But still, when you have when you've been gone for three years and you're whooping a dude's ass, yeah, you're going to get tired. And he showed that he can push through that fatigue. And then the next fight against Simone Oliveira, like we can talk about how Simone fought like an idiot, like throwing 100 spinning back fist over and over. But like, let me ask you something. Why do you think he, he threw like 100 spinning backfists over and over. The reason why is this. This dude, Daniel Marcos's pressure is so in, intense 
and it's so in your face that it makes guys fight uncharacteristic. I mean, Simon Oliveira is a real vet of the game, man. Like Simon Oliveira is a dude that was 18 and four going into that fight, Will, right? And prior to that, he had a great fight with Tony Gravely where he almost guillotined them on multiple occasions, man. So to make a guy like Simon look that bad, that that speaks volumes that th this kid is a real prospect. But now this is a big step up in competition. This is the best guy he's ever fought. Davy Grant has seen levels that Marcos never has. But I think that, you know, like let, we talk about this all the time, man. Every champion was once a contender. Every contender was once a prospect. Every prospect was once some up-and-coming regional guy, right? So, like, it's all about rising to the occasion. And I think this kid can rise to the occasion. And I think he's catching Davey at the perfect time. The only thing that sucks is the price. It's minus 140, which if you, if you think without a, a shadow of a doubt that, you know, he should be maybe minus 200, then jump on it. For me, it just kind of, it's like, I think he's that prospect that I'm talking about. I think he's that, that best Peruvian guy we've ever seen. I'm just not willing to lay the chalk at minus 140 to find out. But should this drop 25 cents or something like that, th then I might be interested. So my pick is Marcos because the skills I see are good enough, especially when you consider he's going to be making leaps every single fight, right? Um, and even if he's due for his first L here, I think he'll rebound as well. But from what I've seen, this guy's a real professional. Like I said, every indication moving out of Peru, the kind of like recovery work the guy's doing, like he seems like he's dialed in on a level uh, of a guy that's destined for big things. And I think he's catching Davey at a perfect time. Like even a lot of these fights that Davey's winning, he's getting like dropped in the first round. And there's only so many times you can overcome that. And credit to Davey. I would never say anything bad about a guy like that. Like, how could you? It's dangerous Davey Grant. The guy is such a badass. I love him. Um, but I think Daniel Marcos is catching him at the right time. Give me a better price than I'm interested. At this price, I'll, pa I'll pass. But uh, Daniel Marcos is my pick to rise to the occasion and show that he's a legit prospect. Yeah, I'm with you. I'm, this is a fight I, when I was looking through the card that really kind of caught my attention because you've got this young kid obviously undefeated. You kind of like what we've seen when he's been in the kind of UFC tenure the, through the contender series and then his fight with Simon Oliveira. And he, there's just some people that you put an eye on. You're like, oh, this kid could be really, really, really good. But then when I heard this matchup, I was like, oh, this is a really good good marker to see where this kid is going to go because, like you say, Davey can go balls to the wall. He can go with really good guys across many disciplines. Um, and he's just never out the fight. Like like that's in South fight last time. Like I was, I could not believe when that fight went back to the to the feet. I was like, you SOB. I could not believe it because I thought half I looked okay, but Davey was just going and going and going wasn't stopping. Just typical Davey Grant. Um you said it here, like the price to me, I'm not, at this price, I wouldn't be, be willing to kind of look to kind of move in and, and on Marcos at that number. Like you said, if you can get down to, a, I think I think if he was to get back down to minus 120, I might be a little bit interested. Um, but I'm really interested to see how this fight goes because, like I said, Davey is just a guy that's never out of the fight and fighting at home. It's not something that he does predominantly. He's always kind of fighting abroad in Texas and Vegas. And um, 
I know that he's got a lot of people that go to his fights as well. A really popular guy. Uh, but I think I, I'm. I, I want to. I think this Marcos kid's going to be good. I want to see it, um, and I, hopefully we, we get a good fight this weekend. But my, my picks could be Marcos as well. And next up in the welterweight division, we got Danny Hot Chocolate Roberts. He's eighteen and seven, welcoming Johnny Parsons, who's eight and three, into the UFC. And currently, they got it. Danny Hot Chocolate just depends where you look. Minus one eighteen, and on Danny minus one hundred two on Johnny, but some spots minus one fifteen. Danny minus one hundred five. Uh, Johnny, and then some spots minus one ten apiece. So. For the most part, it's a pick with a slight lean on Danny Hot Chocolate. Um, so, man, remember uh, when we hung out in Vegas, UFC 197? Um, we went there. We saw Yair knock out Feely. We saw Whitaker put that clinic on Natal. My boy James Vick was at the height of his career there against Glico Franza. John Jones versus OSP. And Danny Hot Chocolate versus Dominique Steele got the fight of the night that night. Afterwards... Me, you, one of my best friends, Eli, we all hung out and we saw Danny Hot Chocolate at uh, this pizza place. So we hung out with Danny and his team and he couldn't have been cooler, man. Like, what, like what a great guy. Um, so, yeah, I'll always have fond memories of that and I'll always, you know, have a soft spot for Danny for that. And also the guy comes to fight. The guy, like, he's a dog out there, man. We know what the concerns are. You know, he doesn't exactly have the best chin in the world. Um but he is a dog. And then Johnny Parsons, also a dog, kind of reminds me of someone else on this card, Brian Barberena, where it's like he might kind of look like on the chubbier side or this or that, but Duke can eat shots. And like if you start to fatigue against a guy like that, lay into the fight, he's going to put it on you. Um, I don't have the best read on this fight. Uh, tell me what you're thinking here. Yeah, like I was about to say when I, when I was going to start this fight, like I am a massive, massive fan. I'm really, really have been of, uh, of Danny Roberts for years and like a top class individual. Like uh, I had something like really bad happen when I lost my first son, when I was going to be a dad for the first time and he found out about it and got in touch. And, um, and then I think that his next fight was actually in Glasgow and he took me to the side and said some like really like nice words and, and says like, if you ever need anything or just to talk or just whatever, I'm there, just message me. So, I've got a soft spot. I'm very, very biased for Danny. Um, but we've all seen his kind of shortcomings in the UFC, his durability. I think he's got skills there, but I just think he's one of these confidence fighters that he needs to land some shots, really build his confidence. Um, and Parsons, to me, like I say, I, this is his UFC debut, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah, coming off the contender series. So, like I say, he's had a bit of a gap away. He, he could potentially be a lot better than what I remember from seeing. Um I, I don't I don't think Danny's a bad fight. I just think he's, he needs to get his confidence up. He makes some kind of bonehead decisions sometimes. That silver fight, I thought he was on his way to winning that one. Uh, yeah, I, like I say, I, I'm very biased in this fight. I'm going to pick Danny Roberts because I want to see him still cash checks in the UFC and, and elongate his career and uh, help out his family and whatnot. So, uh, yeah, I'm going to pick Hot Chop. He's my boy. Man, I really hope you're right. Um, so here's the deal with Parsons. I mentioned how he's kind of got that Brian Barberena type quality about him. So his last fight was against Solomon Renfro, who's a very mm-hmm. solid prospect. Um, just knocked a dude out in PFL, actually in Atlanta a few weeks ago. Super cool guy, too. So that's actually a fight that, man, it's a low-key robbery. 
but the reason uh people don't freak out about it as much is because parsons fought with so much heart so much balls he just fought his ass off to where like you don't like lose respect for him in a fight like that right like because in the first round uh solomon renfro was shit kicking this man um dropping them destroying him second round comes through and it's a little bit closer it's kind of like 50 50 on the feet um but solomon kind of ends the round with a takedown has top control so i thought that solomon kind of you know stole the second round like first round dominant second round i thought he stole it and then third round this dude johnny parsons a bat out of hell like landing nasty check knees uh big uppercuts right hands like dude's a dog <laughs> dude's gonna get after it um the thing is he's been out uh i believe because of concussion issues which yeah. is not really you know i mean i'm not a doctor so i don't really know if that means that i mean we know danny can crack <laughs> danny can give it it's just danny can't take it as well as we want him to be able to and this has always been the case it's just that back in the day it'd be more wobbles now it's more getting stopped i mean we got to understand that my boy is you know he's 36 right right so it's one of these things where he's had a long career um and some of the shots that parsons was landing on renfro you know renfro's a young prospect who still has all his durability um i'm not convinced roberts eats those shots like if, if i knew that roberts you know was gonna be able to eat these shots then i'd pick roberts because i actually think he's the better fighter here and i think even regardless i think he might still be able to knock out parsons in the first round because roberts is a heavy hitter man um and when you sleep on him that's when he gets his knockout wins but if parsons can do his brian barberena impression and kind of absorb these ridiculous shots and then land some of his own that's where I think he might have an edge. It's just I don't know what to expect from him off a two-year layoff. Not the two-year layoff, off a two-year layoff with concussion issues and this and that. So I have no idea. I'm going to go with Parsons so that one of us is right, but I hope that you're the one that's right here. Now, next up in the lightweight division, we got Mark Jacasey. He's 16-6, and six, taking on Joel Alvarez, who's 19-3. and three. And currently, they got it. Joel Alvarez minus one ninety. The comeback on March Jacasey is plus one sixty five. So, here's the deal, man. One of my best bets of last year was Armin Sarukian, like minus two hundred against Joel Alvarez. Like you're telling me, I only had to pay minus two hundred on Armin Sarukian against the guy with zero percent takedown defense. And, and I know that I like to, you know, exaggerate or be sarcastic or be funny but i'm not exaggerating or being sarcastic or being funny when i say joel alvarez has zero percent takedown defense that's actually the stat he literally has zero percent takedown defense the thing is that i can rely on armand sarukian to not have a mental lapse and dive into a guillotine or when he's in the guard of joel alvarez get caught with an arm bar with a triangle or something like that like armand's just on a different level like armand's like a fight or two away from a title shot and who knows, DC just posted that people are going to be really pissed about Islam Makachev's next opponent. And, and and I wrote a comment, what is it, Austin Hubbard or something? But uh, um, I, I think he might mean maybe an Armin Sarukian rematch, which why would I be pissed at that? Their first fight was fucking great, you know? Uh, so just, you know, Armin minus 200 against a guy like Joel was like the gift of the century. So here's the thing. Mark Jacasey has the goods to win this fight. Like, let, let, let's not fucking joke about that man i mean look eight takedowns landed against uh demir one fight ago 
11 takedowns landed against Slava Borshov. Like, so, dude, like, you come out here and land that many takedowns, like, you go for that approach. I mean, I think that there's a path. It's just I don't trust Jacasey to not dive headfirst into a guillotine, which um, he has gotten guillotine more than once inside the octagon. I, I just don't trust him to not do something stupid. I know he's good enough to win this fight. Like, I, I like the guy's he's paid his dues. He's good everywhere. But I just don't trust him at all. Like, I think that sometimes he gets arrogant. I think sometimes he makes some bonehead mistakes. I think sometimes there's panic situations. And Joel, listen, he's a dog too, man. Uh, you saw what he did to Tiago Moises. And I know the fights prior to that, he was submitting some guys on their way out. But he treated them accordingly, which you love to see. Um, but the fights he lost, he got outclassed in a way where it was like, man, like, this is bad. And also... If I don't watch the fight and you just tell me that it went to decision, Joel Alvarez has never won a decision before in his career. So I think maybe that'd be a sign of Jacasey, uh, you know, neutralizing him and not diving into that guillotine. So Jacasey, it's like he's got a path. It's just I don't trust him. Right. So for that reason, I'm going to pick Alvarez. It's just I have zero interest in betting a guy at minus 190 to minus 200 was 0% takedown defense a guy against a guy who's landed a ridiculous amount of, take, of takedowns throughout his UFC career, who's well-rounded enough to win this fight. It's just that physicality of Joel Alvarez mixed in with his opportunistic finishing ability is what I think is going to uh, lead him to victory. But I'm not interested at this price. Uh, let's see how you rebound from that absolute shellacking. I mean, Armin didn't, didn't just beat him. Well, Armin rearranged his face it was like a halloween pumpkin carving you know so uh yeah so who see who knows how he's gonna rebound i'm gonna still pick alvarez because i don't trust you casey but like i said if i don't watch the fight and you call me up right now and you told me hey it went all three rounds i mean i think jacasey would probably win that probably maybe i don't know but uh joel's never won a decision before but he is such a potent finisher and jacasey's prone to these just stupid bonehead mistakes um so probably joel joel probably keeps his zero percent takedown defense intact and wins via guillotine yeah like i said i think dear casey's got all the tools i think he always has had them he was a guy coming through in Bama years ago that i really liked and he was a, pretty much a heavy grappler back then and then he made his way into the ufc and he really started to showcase his striking and obviously got super confident after knocking out Packlin. He kind of went over to um, American Top Team. That just did not work out whatsoever. And he's came back and he's shown some like really solid, uh, some solid fights where he's completely dominated guys, multiple takedowns, and just controlled the fight. But then there's fights like you said where he took, um, like that Johnson fight. He did not. Like shoot, I don't even think he, he tried all that many attempts on Michael Johnson, and Johnson's not a bad wrestler himself. But um, he, I think he will get takedowns here. But I've also I just got the feeling that he's going to get submitted with something. He's so real quick, he he yeah. went he went zero for six on takedowns right. against Johnson, but Johnson kind of has that like real fast brawl and then gets right back up type thing, yeah. whereas Joel is not going to stuff. He's more so going to try to attack, like grab a neck or go to his back and then throw up sub. So it's just, it's just yeah. a different style, yeah. you know? Yeah. Um, like I say, 
Alvarez is a, he's huge for the division. Whether he makes the weight or not is another thing because he's had trouble making the weight. The thing, I think Diakese will get takedowns in this fight, but he just doesn't... Can you guarantee that he's really going to do something with it? Because sometimes he doesn't do as much as he really should. So Rookie, and you know, if, if you've got that guy on top of you, he's going to lay elbows, he's going to lay punches, he's going to work, he's going to find a way to get you out of there if he can. Diakese, I can't, I can't guarantee he's going to do that, but I also think if he, he, he avoids getting submitted early on, or taken out in any way, I think that the later this fight goes, I think he could potentially come out here and win a decision. For me, I think that Alvarez is going to submit him. I think he's going to put his head in here somewhere and get caught with something. So I'm picking, my, my pick's going to be Alvarez via submission. I'm going to take the first round as well. Now, next up in the heavyweight division, we got the UK's own undefeated heavyweight, Mick Parkin. He's 6 0, taking on Jamal Pogues, who's 10 and 3. And currently, they got it. Jamal Pogues minus 160. The comeback on Mick Parkin is plus 140. Break it down for us, man. I mean, Mick uh, Parkin, like, is he the new heavyweight hope for the UK? Is it, a, I mean, what do you think here? This is another guy that I that kind of come up through the the scene that I didn't really hear all that much about. I didn't see all that much. And then next thing I know, he's on Dana White Contender Series. And then I went digging a little bit. And, um, I mean, he surrounds himself with really good people and really good heavyweights as well, which I like. Um, Tom Aspinall, he does a lot of work with. I know he does work with Darren Till on and off. Phil DeFries, if you don't know who Phil is, he's the, a guy that was in the UFC and that just wasn't his time back then. I think he fought Stipe Miocic, if I remember right. Yeah, he just he just hadn't found the proper doctor uh, or Flintstone vitamins <laughs> yeah. when he was in the UFC, yeah. and now he has. Now in Poland, he is finding he's finding everything. So, and he's like to, to give him his props. He's he's a pretty major star over there in KSW. They pay him really well. I don't think he's fighting the kind of higher caliber opposition. I think he'd still win a lot of fights in the UFC nowadays. Honestly, I think with his grappling, so he's working with really good fellow heavyweights. Jamal Pokes to me, I just I think. I don't want to go into hard. I, I don't think he's good at all. I, I don't, when I watch him, he doesn't kind of meet the eye test for me. And I, I think this is a really good opportunity for, for Michael Parkin to come out there um, and, and win in front of his home fans. Like I say, I'm still fairly new to him myself. Only seen a couple of fights here and there. But I know there's some people that have got some, some um, they think he's going to do okay in the UFC. I think this is a good entry fight. For him to come out here and get a win, uh, and I'm actually really tempted to to kind of bet parking, but like I say, he's one of these fights where I maybe want to sit back and analyze and see if I learn a little bit more. But he's like plus one forty five over here in the UK at the minute, which is I think a little high in a fight that I think he should maybe be favoured in. So uh, I'll see where it goes, but I'm going to take Michael Parkin to win this fight. I'm gonna come in on the opposite side. Listen, I I, I don't disagree in terms of when Jamal Pogues got signed to the UFC, like that last contender series fight was so awful. I was like, I was like, there's no way they're going to sign him. And Dana felt bad that, Hey, we gave him another contender series uh, shot in the past. He won both of them. We need heavyweights. All right, come on, kid. Let's see what you can do with your opportunity. But I got to admit, man, in that UFC debut, he did some things I liked, man. Like he went out there, landed five takedowns, which, you know I love stuff like that. Attempted 11 takedowns, which you don't often see from a heavyweight fighter. And I know it's Josh Parisian. I know Josh Parisian, the guy that uh, 
got his face humped and all that. I, I, I understand. I understand. But still, it was a big step in the right direction compared to the fight I saw in contenders. Um, and, and my thing with Mick is I like Mick. I mean, he's been doing his thing, but the level of competition he's been fighting, he's only fought one guy with a winning record. Now, now granted, he's handled all the cans accordingly, so you can't discredit that. I just think that Jamal has a bit more experience. I think that Jamal, e even though he's not that impressive, I think that he's going to be able to get some top control here, land some takedowns, and kind of kind of grind this one out a bit. And for that reason, I'm picking him. But make no mistake about it. I've been waiting for my opportunity to fade uh, Pogues. And if this is the time and I pass, I'm going to be so pissed off because then the next time around, you know, Pogues is not going to be a favorite, you know, but uh, – I just think he's slightly ahead of Mick. I like Mick. He's been doing his thing. But I think that Jamal, a little bit more athletic, a little bit more active, and can and can land those takedowns in this fight and ultimately get that top control. So that's why I'm picking him. But I'm not going to talk you off, Mick, because like I said, I've been waiting to fade Pogues for a long time. But I'm not going to bullshit you and say that I wasn't more impressed with his debut than his contenders. Like I said, when he got signed on contenders, I was like, oh, my God, like I'm going to be fading this guy every fight. But they gave him Parisian. You know, I ain't betting Parisian in no UFC fight. And he looked a lot better in that fight. So maybe that's a sign that, like, you know, he's leveling up a bit. And then you hear him talk. I actually, I actually like what I hear. Like he's like he's got a good head on his shoulders. Um, seems like he's pretty professional about things. So hopefully that's a sign of a step in the right direction. And he's got, you know, more than twice the experience of Mick. So I'm going to pick him for that reason, but I'm not betting it. So, you know, no, no conviction here. But this one I am betting on. Next up in the middleweight division, we got the always exciting Brian Barberena. He's 18 and 10, taking on Mahmoud Muradov, who's 25 and 8. And currently they got it, Mahmoud Muradov, minus 350 to come back on Brian Barberena's plus 285. So I hit uh, Mahmoud Muradov a couple days ago, minus 250. So I already beat the line by a dollar. So um, I did my job there as far as that's concerned. I mean, obviously I'm going to be pissed if it loses because I don't like losing, but uh, I'm proud that to know that, like, again, I'm not just betting this week. I'm going to be betting for the next 10 to 20 to 30 years. So if I can keep consistently beating lines by a dollar, I know I'm going to come out on the right side of the coin. So I did my job as far as that's concerned. And, and the reason I took him there is because I just thought minus 250 was too low in this spot. I, I think that minus 350, minus 400 is, is a little more you know, accurate to where the line should be as far as how I view it, my perceived value of the line, right? Um, so, and the reason why is this. So like, yeah, so Makmo comes into the UFC and he's, doing his thing man he's looking nice on the feet he, he's got light footwork he's got heavy hands um he can get back up from takedowns so i really liked what i saw the gerald mershart fight happened and i gotta admit mahmoud looked like shit in that fight and i'm not going to discredit mershart but sometimes mershart is going to set back a prospect look what he look how he looked against bruno silva and then bruno's next fight he knocks out brad Tavares. so it's like from time to time like gerald is just going to embarrass a guy that you know, that has less experience than them. They're like, I, I don't know what it is. And then the next fight, Gerald's going to get knocked out by a guy that on most occasions has no business in there with him. Like Ian Heinish. Like, like, I was like, man, like I was surprised about that. So Gerald just really hard to cap. But then the next fight against Kyle, I bet Mahmoud there plus 190. And Mahmoud did the best against Kyle that anyone's done so far in the UFC. And literally what happened in that fight is 
honestly, Mahmoud, I think that he wanted to prove after getting submitted his last fight against Gerald, he wanted to prove that, hey, I'm not a slouch on the mat. So he's going out there and shooting takedowns on this serious black belt, a Damian Maya black belt in, in Kyle Bohio. He was getting the takedowns. The issue was that Kyle locked on this guillotine, and that guillotine must have been so damn tight that basically the way to escape the guillotine is you got to go to your back. It's either that or you're getting tapped out, especially with a Damian Maya black belt. So Mahmoud had no choice. Like he'd get on top of him, but when that guillotine came, it's like, fuck, I got to bail to go to my back because I'm not trying to tap out, you know? So that's how he ended up losing the fight. But I thought the fight was within reach, and I thought it actually showed a big step in the right direction. The fact that you didn't get tapped out by this Damian Maya black belt, you were able to land takedowns on him. You almost had him on the ropes at times. Like... Like, I think that, you know, that's something you can learn from. You get back in the gym, you go on his Instagram, the guy's in insane shape, and he's a real 85er, whereas Barbarena, look, I would never say a, a bad thing about Barbarena, even though this might sound like a bad thing. He's just a bit of a slob. Like, the guy started his UFC career at 155. I know you remember that Chad LaPree fight and um, the Joe Ellen Joe and Jake Ellenberger fights, and then he goes to 70, does his thing. You know he's had some great wins along the way. Um, but, man, I, I just feel like 85s is the wrong weight class. Like, I'm glad you don't have to cut weight. You know, you're kind of towards the tail end of your career. and Maybe those weight cuts were getting to you, and maybe you just don't feel like doing those extra runs anymore. Maybe you feel like having that extra slice of pizza. I don't blame you, man. You've had a long career. You deserve to enjoy the fruits of your labor, my man. It's just that Mahmoud is locked in right now. Mahmoud's in the best shape of his life. And most importantly, Will Martin, Mahmoud is a real middleweight. So I think that, you know, oftentimes the smaller guy is the one with the speed advantage. I don't think that's going to be the case here because I think that Brian moving up to 85, I think that that's going to give him a little bit more, you know, fat around the midsection where he was already not a guy with a six pack at 70s, you know, put on those extra 15 pounds. And I think he's going to be a little bit slower. I think he's going to be a bit too small. I think he's going to be, he's already been super hittable. I mean, dude, that fight with Luke, which is one of the best fights I've ever seen. Like, bro, like Luke was hitting with some knockout blows in that first round. And like, Brian was just eating them. It was like, oh my God, this guy's chin is ridiculous. And he is that dog that like you hit him with that baseball bat. You gas yourself out trying to finish him, and he's still there in that third round in your face. It's just how long can you keep up a style like that, especially now in a division you have zero business in, right? Um, on a lower level, my buddy Jared Gooden, yeah, he's not as good as Brian Barb, but he's got a similar quality. He's got a ridiculous chin. Like Jared, you can hit him with the kitchen sink, but when he went up to 85s, like he got smoked by that Bruno Oliveira guy. Like all the shots you were able to eat at 70s and like like you remember the Juban fight and the Randy Brown fight where he ate that front kick to the face, like just walked right through it, like no problem. But he goes up to 85s and, and, and now dudes are, are, are putting him down because it's the wrong weight class. And I think a similar thing is going to happen here. Brian Barbarena is simply in the wrong weight class and Mahmoud's back is up against the wall. You could say the same thing about Barb, but it's different because Barb is established in the company. Barb could lose his next few fights and Barb's not a guy you cut. Barb is a guy that... He's not a Hall of Famer, but he's a guy that, that'll that'll retire with the company, right? He's a guy that, like, we're going to keep you around because of the kind of shows you've given us over the years. We love you. You're established, you know? We're not just going to kick you to the wayside after a couple losses, whereas Mahmoud's not established enough, whereas he loses here. 
he's probably gone, you know? So Mahmoud needs this. I've been looking on his IG. The guy's in the best shape of his life. And I think he's going to have that performance that he's that he needs so badly. I think he's a lot faster. I think his footwork's on point. I think his volume's there. Um, don't be surprised if he hits some easy takedowns on Barb 2, which people, I mean, let, let, check this out. You want to talk about takedowns? Check this out. Let me pull it up. So Barbarena gives up one takedown his last five, but Grant, only one takedown because that one takedown was all it needed for Gunnar Nelson. So forget about that. Four against Dos Anjos. Five against Matt Brown. Four against Darian Weeks, who is no longer with the company. Eight. Eight takedowns against Jason Witt. Now, 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 let me say this because I bring this up every time I talk about Barb. If I told you that Brian Barberena and Jason Witt got into a fight and only one man landed a knockdown, who would you guess got the knockdown? I know, I know 10 times out of 10, you'd be like, oh, yeah, Brian Barberena knocked out Jason Witt. Jason Witt knocked out <laughs> Brian Barberena. So, if that's not a red flag, I don't know what is. I think Mahmoud is probably going to put him down, if not, you know, easily win these first two rounds, coast in that last round, and get a decision. But I'm leaning towards the knockout here. But either way, I played at minus 250 to win two units. That means I risked five units on it. And uh, let's get it. Uh, we beat the line by a dollar. Now it's time to go out there and cash. So I got Murad off here to bounce back in a big way. Yeah, I think I, I didn't. I didn't even know that you bet Muradov. Actually, that's uh, minus two fifty. I think it's a, a really, really good line. I'm still looking to to put um, Muradov. He's minus three hundred over here. Uh, I can get him for minus three hundred. So I'm looking to throw him in a parlay somewhere. I think I think this is a great fight for him to come back against a guy like I said. I actually didn't realize until today that he was moving up to one eighty five either. It didn't register with me. Um, but I think Murdov's speed, I think his variety with his strikes is going to be just far too much for Barbary. And I think the speed is just going to kill him in this one. I like him to win via an early knockout. I think he's going to catch him with something. And I went back and watched a couple of fights earlier on of Barbarina just to, and it was just like that Jason went when I forgot that he got knocked down in that fight. The Daddy Weeks fight, I thought that, I thought he probably maybe even could have lost that fight. The way the fight was um, very close, the strikes, takedowns were on the weak side. Um, I just think, like I say, moving up against this kind of guy, I think is just not good right now. I think he's going to get picked apart. I think he's going to eat a big shot. Um, but Muradov, like I said, I think he has taken a minus P's and Q's because Barbarina does hit hard. He knocked down the... The UFC welterweight champion back in the day when he when he put down Leon Edwards for a second. Um, yeah, I I I'm looking to parlay Maradov with some with something. I'll find something hopefully in the next day or two, and hopefully get it at the line it's still at. But I, I think it's a great bet that you made at minus two fifty, and I'm like I say, um, I I hope you cash because like I say, anytime you're putting five units on, you have to be super confident. You sounded like your, your read was on. Um, I liked everything you said, so uh, yeah, I've got Maradov in this one. Now, next up in the Bantamweight division, we got Ketlin Vieira. She's 13-3, taking out Panny Kianzad, who's 16-6. And, and currently, they got a Ketlin Vieira, minus 140. The comeback on Panny Kianzad is plus 120. So, I mean, I think this line's about right. You know, I think it should just be a slight lean on Ketlin Vieira. Like, it's just going to be another closely contested fight, man. I think that Panny Kianzad's probably got the better hands here. Um, I think that... She's also probably got the better durability here, but I think Ketlin Vieira 
stronger in the clinch, better throws, better top control. Um, not as durable, but probably a little bit tougher. Um, my issue with Ketlin is that so when she first came into the UFC, like she uh was on the path to a title shot. Like, dude, like she was doing her thing, but after the Zingano fight, so the Zingano fight. Uh, and I, I think I bet her big against Zingano. And like in that third round, like there was this moment where Zingano had her pressed up against the fence, and like Ketlin's like looking away into the crowd. I was like, "Get one!" You know, it was like it was like, "Oh my god!" Um, so that was in March of 2018, and then she didn't return until December of 2019 against Irene, where she got knocked out in the first round. And I think she had like a big time surgery. Uh, we talk about like I don't put stock into layoffs unless we're dealing with like a big surgery or this or that like right because like with a young prospect coming off a layoff I look at it as time to improve with a seasoned vet coming off a layoff I look at it as like you've been here so many times maybe you need to heal your body a bit but when it's you know surgeries and this and that you know that's where I put stock into it and I don't think that Ketlin ever looked the same after that that Irena fight man I mean. She's got some good wins along the way, but here's what you got to understand. While the names Sajara Eubanks, Misha Tate, and Holly Holm look good on the resume, what we got to understand is Sajara Banks, 38 years old. Misha Tate, 36 years old. She's actually younger than I thought. Holly Holm, 41 years old. So it's, it's not like she was beating these girls in their prime. And most of them were like closely contested fights. Um, and then the Yana fight, like, she won most of the fight, but then she just give up that, that position at the end of the rounds and start taking punches. And, and then the Raquel fight, I know people were so high on, uh, on Ketlin against Raquel. And my pick the entire week was Raquel by split decision and Raquel won by split decision. So, I mean, it's like, it's going to be another one of these fights that is, is going to be closely contested, could go either way. Most likely I, I slightly lean with Ketlin, I've always viewed her kind of on a higher level, but I mean, I'm not going to act surprised if Panny wins a split. Are you? No, not, not at all. I'm on the Panny side in this one. I, I was actually looking at a possible bet earlier on in the week when our number was a bit higher, but um, when I was kind of reading the board and where I wanted to go and there was just other spots I liked a little bit more than this, but like I said, I think to me when I watched Ketlin's last few fights, to me, her confidence just seems—I don't know whether the injury took it out of her, uh, took it out of her, or wh wh whatever it may be—but she's just. I remember you used to rave about Caitlin Vera back in the day. You were, you were really on the train there of um, thinking she was going to go far, and um, yeah, she's just she's not looked the same kind of fighter since. Whether it's the injury, whether it's the confidence, whatever it may be. Um, I, I think Panny's just going to make these rounds super close. I think she's going to uh, get the hometown decision uh, and take that win back to Sweden. But um, a close fight, I, I don't really want to have any money on. But I'm, I'm going to side with Panny Kjanzad. Now, next up in the lightweight division, we got Chris Duncan representing Scotland. He's 10-1, taking on Ginal Ashmuz, who's 7-0, repping Israel. But I, I don't, I don't know if he's like like actually like really Israeli. Like, I don't think he's Jewish or anything like that. I think that he like his family migrated there, which I mean, if you've been to Israel, it's, it's a beautiful place. Like when you fly over and you look at like the ocean, like you could see the bottom of the ocean, the water's like, like just crystal blue. It, it's, it's pretty amazing. Um, but anyways, currently they got it 
Chris Duncan minus 140 and Al Ashmoos plus 125. Um, I don't know. I mean, because it's like Chris Duncan, another guy like Jamal Pogues, where like I'm looking for my opportunity to fade him. And I tried to fade him against Omar. And man, I, I thought that Chris Duncan was like this sloppy brawler. And all of a sudden, he's a cage pusher he's a leg humper i was like damn i didn't know you had that in you you know so that, that was pretty cool to see a different part of his game um i think that duncan is a dog but i also think duncan's a bit on the chinier side i think he's a bit on the slower side but um he is a bit physical even though it's kind of slow kind of a physical guy he's getting the right looks at att granted i'm sure sparring with pore how many times has pore knocked him out in the gym you know but still at least he's getting high level looks so he's probably leveling up while while his durability uh, diminishes at the same time and with you know like i respect the, the guy like that knockout he had was brutal but like let's put like stock into that i mean let's, let's excuse me let's put context into that knockout he had against sam patterson going into that fight like i said on my show Sam Patterson is a brutal knockout waiting to happen. The guy has some of the worst tall man's defense I've ever seen in my life. I just didn't think it was going to be that fight, and it was that fight. But prior to the knockout shot, Yanal wasn't doing shit. It was absolutely no volume whatsoever, and then he just caught him with that shot. And once, and once he had him hurt, he teed off on him. So you love to see it. But I'm just not I'm just not sold yet on, on this Yanal. Um, like... I still need to see more because like what we saw in that debut was not indicative of what we saw on the regional scene. Now he does seem like, like a strong cat, especially if he gets on top of you. Um, I, I just kind of need to see more before like, like I'm not really sure what he brings to the table. And and that last fight, um, while it was a great knockout, I don't think that's indicative of how his UFC runs going to go. I don't think he's going to start coming out here and just blowing through people like, like he did like that guy. Um, that guy was a knockout waiting to happen. And Chris Duncan's a knockout waiting to happen, too. Don't get me wrong. Um, it's just that, you know, like Duncan, man, he can he can kill clock, pinning you up against the fence. He does have calf kicks. Um, he does hit hard as well. I think he's a little bit more well-rounded. It's just I'm not laying chalk on Chris Duncan in the UFC fight, um, especially with the unknowns of Yanal. Like, I just don't know enough about Yanal yet. Um, that knockout he had didn't let me know much, whereas with Duncan, I've seen two different styles of him before. I've seen the brawler that we saw against Charlie Campbell, which Charlie seemed like a good prospect going into it. Even the 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 uh, Slava Claus fight, like he was doing good at times against Slava Claus. Took him down just when he got slept. He got slept, but we know that Slava is a legit striker. So here, I'm not sure what to expect. I'm going to lean Duncan, but I, I, I'm not interested at the betting window. Let me sit back and see where they're at. But I'm going to be so pissed off if Yanal wins, and I missed out on my Chris Duncan fade. Yeah. No, I'm with you here as well. I, I'm really surprised that I was on Morales as well last time out in London, and I didn't think Chris had that type of game plan in for 15 minutes because, uh, like I said, I knew about Chris since he came through up here in, uh, in Scotland, and um, he's, he loves to throw down. He, he always has. He's a, a guy from up north that uh, just loved to throw down. I didn't think – I honestly did not think that that would ever change with him. But obviously, he's aligned himself with one of the best camps you can get, and they, they've started to, to really turn him around as a fighter. And I've spoke with a couple of people that know him a lot better than I do, and he says, like, it is so – the time out over there in Florida is just so beneficial for him. 
he's working daily like he's with Pori and Grant Dawson has been it's kind of really took him under his wing and it's really like tried to turn him around into the grappling side of things and like I said I, I don't know like yourself like you know I don't know a hell of a lot about him uh kind of really want to see a little bit more from him I thought Parson would beat him the first time around but like you said there was kind of red flags there with Parson with just how far the chin was in the air, the hands were down, and he was hittable. Um, and you also say that you can't bet Chris Duncan at like the number that he's at. So it's like a pass for me. I'm going to lean Scotland in this one just so um, we can at least have one Scott in this card win. So uh, I'll take Chris Duncan to win via kind of mixing it everything up and uh, getting a decision win. Now, next up in the strawweight division, we got a matchup between Bruna Brazil. She's 8-3-1, welcoming Shauna Bannon, Mama B, representing Ireland, who's 5-0 and to the UFC. Currently, they got it. Uh, Bruna Brazil, minus 150. The comeback on Shauna Bannon is plus 130. So, what do you think, Will? Mm. I'm really surprised that Shauna's got signed to the UFC. Really happy, actually, for Paddy Holohan because... Paddy's one of the nicest guys I've kind of been around the sport and just a, a top-class guy. So he's the first guy, I believe, from Ireland to, to fight in the UFC and have his first fighter come into the UFC. So, um, But, like, she's only been a pro for 15 months. That's – that's I'm, I'm like, why why are they signing her for, for that? Now, I have heard that they're trying to get back to Ireland and there is other um, – Fighters potentially that the UFC could sign, Paul Hughes, Kaylin Lochran, Reese McKee's just re-signed. So they can manoeuvre and, and, and put a card with Ian Gary and Johnny Walker. But when it comes to this fight, I'm I look at it and I'm like, I, I just think it's too early for me. Um Shauna, she's I think she's a seven-time world kickboxing champion. Um, her family is kind of really known for kickboxing over in Ireland. It, it's been like that way for years. Her sister does it as well. Um, I think that I think from what I hear that Bellator were ringing around as well and were very close to, to bringing Sean in as well so she took the opportunity while, while she got it and UFC jumped on it um, in this fight here I think it's very, I think it's Bruna to me is just a little bit more I think well rounded, a little bit more composed I think both girls can, can fight a little bit long I do like the kicks of Shauna and I do like um some of her, t- like, when she gets on top, she's very, very aggressive, but she makes a lot of mistakes. She can be sweet. She can be taken down. Bruna, to me, like I say, I, I thought she, she would have done okay against Denise Gomez, but Denise's kind of come out and shown that she's maybe a real talent to look out for um, going forward, and we've seen that last time when she, she knocked out Yasmin Haragi. I've bet Bruna Brazil at minus 125. I, I kind of, I was going to do it a little bit earlier, a couple of weeks back when she was like minus 110, I believe she was. And then um, the line got blasted by uh, some very short betters out there. And it went up to like a minus 138, minus 140. But it's came back down to minus 125. I've went Bruno Brazil to win a couple of units here. I think that she can she can come out here, just have that little bit more experience, being in the UFC, being in the Contender Series. And um, yeah, I, I just like her in this fight. I know there's a lot of love for Shona Bannon this week, though. Um, from what I've heard, I've had like 10 different people message me thinking, should I smash this? I'm like, no, I I, I don't think you should. Even though I think she's a very, very dedicated fighter, I think she will win fights in the UFC. I just don't think it's going to be this one, though. So you said you bet at minus 125? Minus 125, yeah. 
Yeah, well, she's minus one fifty now. So congrats. Yeah. I mean, you beat a line by, you know, quarter by a quarter of a dollar. You know, and who knows where she's gonna close. So, you did your job regarding that. Um, but uh, oh man, I want I wanted him to to hear what I had to say about this. Oh, there no, he I is. Just switch it on my light. Okay, okay. Um, so yeah, this is interesting. You might not like what I have to say about this, but it's all good. Doesn't mean I'm right. Um, so. I think that people are wrongly hyped on Bruno Brazil. I, I think that Bruno Brazil, she's athletic, she's got good kicks, but I think that she's a massive front runner. Um, and, and let me explain why. So people, okay, so because because Denise Gomes just smashed Yaragui, all of a sudden uh, they're writing off the loss to, to Denise Gomes, uh, like. Oh, that that loss aged well because look how Denise Gomes looked her last fight, and I think that that's such a wrong way to look at it. And I'll tell you why: Th those fights were drastically different. And here's why: if you watch Yasmin Yaragui's fight prior to the uh, um, the Denise Gomez fight against Estela Nunes, what happened? Estela Nunes drops Yasmin Yaragui in the first round, but Yasmin Yaragui was able to recover and come back. Here's the difference. When uh, Yasmin Yaragui fought, um, wait, hold on. Oh yeah, so she she got dropped against Estella and came back, right? But against um, Denise, she got dropped and just couldn't recover, right? So it wasn't a matter of quitting or this or that. She just got caught and couldn't come back. Whereas when Bruna fought, fought Denise, that wasn't a matter of getting caught and not coming back. That was a matter of breaking. That was a matter of getting destroyed. I mean, let's look at these numbers, Will. In, in round one, Bruna Brazil uh, gets outstruck 23 to 10 against Denise Gomes. In round two, she gets outstruck 31 to 5. I mean, she got destroyed. She got broken mentally. And it, that cannot be compared to the Yasmin Yaragui fight. Like I said, Yasmin Yaragui was simply a case of she got caught and couldn't recover. And we know for a fact that had she recovered, Yasmin Yaragui's got that Mexican heart like you saw in the Estela Nunes fight. Whereas Bruno Brazil got systematically broken down in a way where like it wasn't just a TKO, it was also a mental TKO. And then you go back to Bruno Brazil's fight on Contender Series, I mean, she was in there with, with, with a, a midget, literally a five-foot-tall opponent with a 64-inch reach. And that five-foot-tall opponent with a 64-inch reach took down Bruna Brazil three times. Anytime she wanted to pin her up against the fence, she did easily. It's just that Bruna Brazil, you know, she's a lot longer, um, you know, and she was able to set up that, you know, really nice kicks up the middle, that nice high kick, beautiful high kick, probably the best women's knockout in contender series history. But it was against, you know, no resistance. And I say no resistance, that no resistance took her down three times. So I think Bruna Brazil is not the the fighter people think she is. Like I hear people talking about how she's this special prospect. And I think that's the biggest bullshit I've ever heard in my life because I pride myself on finding prospects I consider special. I consider Yan Xiaonan special. And, and, and it's easy now for a new listener of the show to be like, oh yeah, Dan, well, like what like what a genius take. She's top five in the world. Guys, I max bet Yan Xiaonan in her UFC debut at minus 130 odds when no one knew who she was. I bet her every single fight. I thought she was special from the jump. I thought Aaron Blanchfield was special from the jump. Bruno Brazil, like 
and I don't want to be condescending and say that people don't know what they're looking at because I've been wrong about prospects too. I just simply think they're wrong about this one. I do not think Bruno Brazil is that, that special uh, fighter that people think she is. Now, do I think she's athletic? Yes. Do I think she has good kicks? Yes. And against the right opponent, she's going to go out there and get those wins. But guys saying that she's a future top 10, future champ, like, like, no, like, no, she is not, not, not even close. Like anyone that remotely stands up to her, puts that pressure on her is going to break her. And even prior to contenders, I saw her get controlled for minutes at times on some of these regional fights. So I'm not sold on Bruno Brazil at all. And then I looked into mama B and she's fought complete cans uh, on hers, but you mentioned how she got that Taekwondo background. She's got really good dexterity in her legs. And honestly, like, I was thinking that she was going to be like the smaller opponent here. Um, they actually don't have her size listed on UFC stats. Let me see what Tapology says because from, from what I saw, yeah, she's got a reach advantage over Bruna Brazil here. She's only one inch shorter. So like size-wise, I think they're going to stack up well. It, it's just about, you know, Bruna has been in there with better competition. But with that, with that said, you know, so there's the positive of the experience, but there's the negative of we've seen what happens when she gets pushed. We know that she's a front runner and we know she can be broken, whereas Shauna hasn't been tested yet. So we don't know those things. But what we do know about Shauna is that she's passed most of her tests with flying colors. So to me, honestly, I think it's a dog or pass situation. You did your part. You beat a line by 25 cents. So great job. And maybe it's, it's going to close even more. And you know, keep doing stuff like that. But I can't do it minus 150, minus 170. I just can't because um, I don't think Bruna Brazil is that fighter people think she is. And I'm willing to be proven wrong on that, of course. Um, I've been wrong many times. I'll be wrong again. And I'm not even sold on Shauna. It's just that I think it should kind of be more so towards a pick em. It even opened with Shauna as a minus 155 favorite. All the action came in on Bruna because no one knows who the fuck Shauna is. So... I'm going to actually go with Shauna here. I hope I'm wrong because I'd love to see you cash. But when I watched Bruno Brazil last night, I was like, oh, my God, this is not this is not the prospect people think she is. This this might be a fraudulent uh, prospect. But let's see, because like I said, she still has good skills. Like if she's not getting pushed and, and she gets to have her range kickboxing fight, then she can come out here and style on some girls. But like if someone's going to stand up to her and it seems to me like Shauna is a tough chick. Um, that is, it, that is going to fight with pride. That gives me big time pause on Bruno Brazil. So I, I'm gonna go with the with the underdog here, but I'm not gonna bet it. And I hope that you win. Now, last but not least, kicking off the card in the flyweight division, we got Jafel Filio. He's 14 and three, taking on Daniel Barres, who's 16 and five, repping Spain. And currently, they got it. Uh, Jafel Filio minus 120. The comeback on Daniel Barres is plus 100. So I, I uh, bet Daniel Barres plus 110 here uh, last night. Um, so basically, Daniel Barres, when you want to talk about experience, when you want to talk about season, when you want to talk about paying your dues, Will Martin, check this out. This dude fought Manel Cap in 2014. Okay, and if you watch that fight, don't don't look on Tapology and see that Manel Cap won via you know, first round, in the first round, three minutes into the fight. Go watch that fight. Remember when Mark Goddard used to let his ego get in the way of all those calls a few years back? Like, remember, like, the first Cheeto versus Davy Grant fight? And some. now I think Mark Goddard's made big leaps, and I think now 
he's one of the best refs in the game. But a few years back, like we were like all up, like criticizing him because he would like a referee, a good referee is a referee you don't notice. And Mark Goddard would really let his ego get involved. And I think he might have done that in the Manel cap fight, which the Manel cap fight is, is irrelevant here. I'm just bringing it up to, to, to prove a point that this dude's been fighting real guys like for like since like the last 10 years, you know what I'm saying? And uh, Daniel Barrez took down Manel Cap. He was smashing Manel Cap, and Manel Cap went for an armbar attempt. Barrez never tapped, and Mark Goddard called the fight. <laughs> Mark Goddard uh, stopped him. Like, I don't know. I didn't hear a verbal tap. Maybe that's what it was. It says it was via verbal. I didn't hear anything. I didn't see a tap, but they stopped it. But prior to that, Daniel Barrez was smashing Manel Cap. Now, fast forward to recently, that fight Daniel Barrez had against uh, Carlos Hernandez is the third best fight on Contender Series history. Number one, Sodik Yusuf versus Mike Davis. Best fight in Contender Series history. Number two, Howley and Paiva versus Alain Nascimento. Second best fight in Contender Series history. Number three, Carlos Hernandez versus Daniel Barrez. I remember tweeting throughout that fight while it was happening. Like, I don't give a shit who wins or who loses. You sign both these guys right now because these guys are ready to, to swim with the Sharks at 25s and look what carlos hernandez is doing man beat victor altamirano who was an lfa champion um went out there against denny's bonders and got a slam ko like and the thing about a guy like uh carlos is he pushes that pace he's a non-stop high-paced fighter and that is the polar opposite of this jafel filio guy jafel filio's output is so fucking bad will martin and, and if you want me to uh to give you evidence of that, uh, let me let me let me do that for you. Check this out. Jafel Filio's fight on contender series. Let's go round by round. Round one, Jafel Filio lands three strikes. Round two, Jafel Filio lands 10 strikes. Round three. Now, round three, he picked it up a little bit because he needed to. He landed 16 strikes. And honestly, that knockout was very beautiful. The thing is that he rarely lets his hands go, man. Like when he finally let them go. Oh my God, that knockout was beautiful. But like up until then, he's very hesitant to let his hands go. Uh, he does have decent kicks, but what he's best at is he's an opportunistic finisher. Like you, you just have to be on top of your game in terms of if you shoot takedowns on him, the guillotine is going to be there waiting for you. That that knee bar you hit on Mokayev, like anybody else is tapping, and that was like, bro, like for the, for Mokayev not to tap to that, like his heart and his will is on a different level than a lot of guys because i know tough guys with heart and will that would have tapped to that knee bar and we wouldn't hold it against them that shit was locked in deep so for mokayev to not tap in there and we like to talk about how some guys are willing to die in there but it's kind of just a figure of speech it's not a figure of speech with mokayev mokayev is like literally willing to die in there so i was blown away he didn't tap by that because a lot of guys a lot, like a lot of real guys with real heart and balls are going to tap to that and it's no big deal so the thing with jafel is like the output's not going to be there at all but what we're worried about is a back take you know backpacking him and you know killing clock an opportunistic submission something like that but besides that man i think daniel barrez's work rate 
is on a different level. I think his hands are much cleaner, uh, mix, uh, rips the body, goes upstairs. He's got calf kicks. He's in your face the entire time. And people talking about how, well, he just crushed a couple cans. It's like, okay, let me ask you something. When you have a fight against Carlos Hernandez, which is one of the best fights in contender series history, and all you got to do is just get a couple wins and you're in the UFC. So, so what does that mean? Does that mean like Sean Shelby didn't say go fight a 20 and 0 Russian and you get in the UFC? Sean Shelby said, just get a couple wins and you're in the UFC. So that's what Daniel Barrez did. Like, that's the smart thing to do. And guess how he handled those cans? like cans he destroyed them he walked them down he was dropping them with jabs like he, he he beat the living shit out of these guys and back to has he been fighting high level competition dude he fought manel cap in 2014 he fucking went tooth and nail with carlos hernandez a year or two ago this guy is ready this guy has paid his dues he's 34 years old he is right in his athletic prime he's ready He's ready. This is your time, kid. You crushed the grapes. Now we drink the wine. So, yeah, like at the very least, I think that it should be um, like they're saying that they're giving Perez at the plus 110 odds. I took a less than 50% chance to win this fight, and I just don't see it that way. I see Perez 55%, 57%, something like that, right? So I had to take the plus 110 odds on principle. Are there things I'm worried about? Sure. I don't want to get backpacked. I don't want to get opportunistically subbed. But this dude ain't been subbed since 2015. So I think that Jafel Filio, you know, and he's one of these guys when he can't get his stuff going, he's going to flop to his back. He's going to butt scoop. He's going to tell you to come into his guard. He's going to do all that bullshit. Like, bro, like Daniel Barrez is way too mean for that. So as long as Daniel Barrez doesn't get opportunistically finished, I think he's going to walk this guy down. I think he's going to be much meaner, much more active. I think he's going to put it on him. And most importantly, I don't think he should have been plus 110 in the spot. So, yeah, I put two units on him at plus 110. And I think he's going to have a great UFC debut. Yeah, I'm with you. I've bet Daniel Barres as well. I bet him as I was going to work this morning. Uh, I woke up. Uh, seen that the line was still 110, and, and I watched him last night. And I was like, and I knew I knew about Daniel Barres for a very, very, very long time. Um, Looking at like flyweights is a, a, a always been a division I love keeping a close eye on. I thought last week, Azat Maxim is a guy I've had my eye on for a long time. Uh, I don't think I don't, I don't think he fought great last week, but he was against a really tough veteran in Nam. And there's another one co coming called uh, Asu Almabayev, who's another top top guy coming in from uh, I think it's Kazakhstan. He comes from and Bares is a guy in the European circuit that has been. I know I've seen people as well talking about his caliber, his opposition. I promise you, this guy has been offered top, top flyweight opposition out there, and they guys have been turning Daniel Barres down. So, and he's just taking the fight, like you said, to get himself into a position where he could get in the UFC because. He should have been signed after the contender series because I was like, like, like Will, I'm really sorry to cut you off. How can you say a guy that fought Manel Cap and Carlos yeah. Hernandez yeah. is fighting soft comp? Yeah. Like, are you stupid? Like, yeah. like, 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 stop it. Yeah, yeah, I, I, I totally get what you're saying. Um, but I, like I say, I think if he fights smart here, I think he roasts this guy. I think his uh, combinations, he roasts the body, his leg kicks, he's got power. And he, he can work on the ground. Now, I don't think he should really take the opportunity to do that here because that might be a, 
a big spot where maybe Philo could take advantage. But I still think he could he could be uh, down there and be very competitive and win win some top time. But I think in the feet, I think he can roast this guy once he gets off. He can really hurt people. And like I said, I think the odds should be a little bit reversed. I think he should be the favourite. Uh, and I'm really happy he's in the UFC. Like I said, I didn't know if it was ever going to happen. 34, 35, um, coming into that kind of mid-range in the 30s, I thought he might going to miss his opportunity. But really happy that he got this short notice opportunity. I think he wins. I think he, I actually think he takes out Philo in the, in the first round, the late first round. I think he's going to catch him with something and put him down. Well, Will, now we got to talk about the fight to watch and the fighter to watch. So in your opinion, Will Martin, what is the fight to watch for UFC London? Uh, what am I going to say? I actually really, really like the um, Nathaniel Wood, Andre Philly fight um, for that. I think that's a really, really good, well-matched fight. I'm looking forward to seeing Philly um, come in here to try to, to against the kind of younger guy, but I'm also looking forward to seeing Wood really like try to make that step up. I think another another notch up in the featherweight division, we're going to see if this guy's going to move into that top 20, maybe of that featherweight division, maybe the top 15 soon enough. So Nathaniel Wood against Andre Feely is my kind of fight to watch in this card. I'm really looking forward to that one. Yes, sir. I mean, I can't disagree. And, and for me, my fight to watch is Davy Grant versus Daniel Marcos. I mean, let me know the last time you saw a boring Davy Grant fight. And now he's in the gatekeeper role, man. I mean, Daniel Marcos is the 14 and no hot prospect, has a you know a, a country on his back, and could potentially, you know, if he can come out here and get wins like this, he could develop a new region of prospects. And more importantly than that, he can elevate himself i mean he's ranked like number 70 in the world right now you beat davy grant you shoot into the top 20 one more win you're in the top 15 like this is this is a big test for both and for davy i mean we know when he wins he wins emphatically we know when he wins bodies hit the floor bodies go unconscious so i mean there's no way this fight is gonna suck and there's high stakes here so for that reason davy grant versus daniel marcos is my fight to watch. Now, Will, who is your fighter to watch? Daniel Barres, for me. I'm really looking forward to his opportunity in the UFC, and I, I I love watching his fights. And like you say, he's been he's been fighting good guys for a long time, and then he had guys dodging him. I know some of the names that have been dodging um, Daniel Barres. So Daniel Barres is the guy that I'm, and he's the first fight of the night. He's going to really start off strong, I think. I'm just really looking forward to seeing his UFC debut. Yeah, and for me, I'm gonna go with Fares Ziam. Like I told you, the guy, the kid won the the uh, K1 when he was like 21 years old, and I've been waiting for like once this kid feels comfortable in there, I've been waiting for that highlight reel knockout. I think it's coming at some point soon, and this is the perfect opponent to do it against. And not to mention, the last fight Fares had was the best performance of his career, and if you can parlay that with a big knockout here against the Brit. In London, I mean, it's going to be a really big fight next. I mean, he's already on the main card. So, I mean, he could go right back to the Paris card and get like a featured bout. So, uh, for that reason, Fares Yam is my fighter to watch. Well, Will, we did it. It's going down this Saturday night. Uh, afternoon for us, night for y'all in London at the O2 Arena, Aspinall versus Tybura. Uh, thank you very much for joining me. Uh, for joining me, my man. The, the fans can follow you at Will Martin MMA. Uh, Will, any message for the fans before we get out of here? 
no just before you go guys just hit that like button uh, get that algorithm out there and um, get the views up. Um, but just thank you for having me on. It's always a pleasure. You're one of the guys that uh, I speak to more than probably anybody on social media regarding fights at times. So I uh, appreciate you for having me on. It's been a long time since we did this. And just thank you. No, thank you. And I promise we're not going to wait five to six years for the next <laughs> one. So, And it's it's such a pleasure having you on. Like I said, y'all follow him at Will Martin MMA. Um, and then also for the fans, thank you all so much for all your support, whether it's from day one, like like my boy Will Martin, whether you, you know, jumped on the bag and along the way or you're new to half the battle. Thank you very, very much. Please hit the like button for me when this is done. Uh, leave me a comment. If you feel like sharing, that'd be amazing too. And subscribe to the channel if you haven't already. So truly means a lot. Thank you again to my guest, Will. Y'all know where to follow me. Best Fight Picks and Half the Battle is available everywhere podcasts are found. And then also my new series, The Technique of the Week, uh, usually drops every Friday. But this week I dropped it on Monday with the Maira Shitara Bueno Silva Ninja Choke, which she actually shared on her Instagram. So it was a huge honor. And uh, we're going to keep pumping those out. If you guys have any requests of any techniques you want to see, you just let me know. Um, and I'm always down to interact with anybody that has my back. So thank you guys very much. Good luck this weekend. And until the next time, let's cash these bets.